that by local standards was still practically new and immodestly cheap. But across from her and two lots down was, by anyone's standards, a 19th century mansion. It was a grand survivor of the great fire of 1914, a catastrophic firestorm my grandmother witnessed before my father was even born, the one where half the population of Nashville gathered on the banks across the river and watched most of the other half burn to the ground. But this convoluted, now somewhat seedy, Victorian dowager had survived. She had weathered fire, tornado, storm, blizzard, and a fleet of owners, tenants, children, pets, burglars, assessors, repairmen, as well as the deterioration of a once proud neighborhood and its subsequent slow, painful gentrification. She had survived it all, until tonight. And now I stood transfixed in front of her, as naked as the day I was born, as she slowly became enveloped in brilliant orange and red and dancing white flame. Surrounded by the lime-greenish-yellow pumpers of the Metro Nashville Fire Department, the orange-and-white paramedic vans, and the blue-on-white squad cars of the Metro Police Department, she was the centerpiece of a grand kaleidoscopic opera. Her death cries, the crackling of century-old roof rafters, the screeching of collapsing floor joists, the popping of exploding electrical circuits. I stared ahead unable to take my eyes off her. As I awakened to the horror of the scene before me, my chest was heavy with sadness, but my head pounded with anger. Someone out there was having his own private Kristallnacht. The East Nashville arsonist had struck again. Chapter 2 I'm a private investigator, but arson's not my area of expertise. Come to think of it, I'm not sure I have an area of expertise. I haven't been at this very long. I've repoed cars, skip-traced, done a couple of workmen's comp fraud claims, and managed to fumble my way through one rather sensational murder case. Other than that, I don't have any idea what the hell I'm doing. So it was more as a spectator than anything else that I climbed into my jeans, threw on a T-shirt and a pair of running shoes, and trotted out into the middle of the night to watch the god-awful biggest fire I'd ever seen firsthand. A crowd had already gathered, held back by uniformed metro cops with bullhorns and a few fire department noncombatants. I could have gotten a better view from my second-story bedroom window, but there's something about a blazing fire that compels one to get as physically close as possible. I wondered, as I cut across my neighbor's lawn to join the throng, if the old myth about arsonists was true. The cliché that arsonists were so enthralled with their own crime that they couldn't bear not to watch. I thought as I wedged myself in between two other spectators, that the person responsible for this inferno could be standing right next to me. Of course, it never occurred to me that this was just an ordinary house fire, that someone had gone to bed without turning off the burner under the teapot, or that the dog had kicked over a candle, or that overloaded 70-year-old cotton-wrapped wiring had finally given way, 
There had been so many fires in East Nashville over the past year, with accompanying levels of paranoia never seen in this community before, that I just assumed the sicko was at work again. From the chatter going on around me, it was a good guess that everyone else thought the same thing. It's awful, a thin, wizened woman covered in hair curlers from the neck up said. Nobody's safe anymore. God damn it, the guy next to her said. He was wearing a dirty undershirt that smelled of liquor so strongly that even the smoke couldn't cover it up. I'd like to get my hands onto some bitch. I shuffled off to one side, to the thinner edges of the crowd, and stood behind two people, the gap between their shoulders flickering orange and leaping blue. Their silhouettes were black, only the barest shades of skin visible against the brightness of the fire. It was clear that the firemen were going to have trouble with...